I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I'm going to jump forward to chapter 3 and verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks so much for that reading. Um, Good evening. It is really lovely to be with you. Um, Thanks for having me. As as Rupert said, my name is Hannah. Um, and I know Rupert from a uh, previous church that he was part of in Cambridge, um, where I was uh, a student as part of that church and then was on the, the staff team for a while. Um, and I've spent most of my 20s doing student work, so working with young adults, and that is a, a passion to see young adults, you know, come alive and get to know Jesus. Um, but as, as Rupert said, I'm actually in a bit of a transition moment. I'm about to uh, train as a speech and language therapist. Um, so if you think that sounds like a bit of a random transition, um, feel free to ask me about it afterwards. I'd love, you to, I'd love to tell you the story of how that happened. Um, and it is a pleasure to be carrying on a series that you're in, I believe, um, looking at some of the great prayers of the Bible um, and uh, what they might teach us about how to pray, how to draw near to Jesus in prayer. Um, so speaking of which, shall we, shall we pause and pray and ask for God's help? Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word to us. Thank you that it is alive and that you want to speak to us. We pray, would you open the eyes of our heart as we've just read, that we would hear your voice. Amen. So um, it seems almost obligatory that when you are giving a talk about prayer, you have to start by admitting that you yourself 
struggle with prayer. Um, I have heard quite a lot of sermons about prayer, and I don't think I've, any, I've ever heard someone stand up and say, this prayer thing, I've got it nailed. You know, I am amazing at prayer. Um, there must be people out there who have mastered prayer, but I, I've never met them. They're probably too busy praying. Um, so I will continue in that long tradition and tell you that um, I am no expert in prayer. Um, I have lots to learn in this area. I definitely, you know, still have my L plates on here. Um, And one thing I sometimes find difficult about prayer um, is the simple matter of what to pray for. What do you pray for? Um, Not always. For instance, um, I'm quite good at praying in a crisis. You know, someone calls me on the phone, tells me about a a situation they're in. I'm all over that. I'd love to pray for that. Um, I'm also quite good at praying for my own needs. Um, so for instance right now I'm looking for the next place that I might live uh, so I'm, I'm quite motivated to pray for that at the moment um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with praying for our needs just to be clear um, Jesus tells us to ask and seek and knock you know and, and petition God for our needs and for the needs of the world so we should definitely do that um, but my my hunch is that if we only know how to pray for our urgent needs, then we might be missing out on some of the the richness that is available to us. Um, I have a couple of friends who are great in a crisis, you know, and and they are the people I would call, if I were broken down on the side of a motorway in the middle of nowhere, they're good people to call, you know, (laughs) and and I absolutely value those friends. Um, But if I only ever called those people in a crisis, you know, if I only ever spoke to them when I was on the hard shoulder of the M4, um, it wouldn't be a very deep relationship, would it? That's kind of the relationship that I have with the RAC. Um, And I suppose my question is that, is it possible that there is more richness to be had in prayer than simply listing our needs? Is it possible that God might have more for us, that he might have more that he wants to do in our lives and that he might even just be waiting for us to ask? And um, this is where we can learn from a master of prayer like Paul. Um, So we've just heard two snippets of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Um, And uh, this is is a place at Ephesus where uh, Paul spent a couple of years as a missionary. He's invested in this community. He loves them. Um, And now it's a few years on and he's writing back to them to encourage them and to spur them on. And, um, And twice in this letter, it's like he just can't stop himself and he breaks out into enthusiastic prayer for these people who he clearly cares about a lot. And, um, and we get to be a fly on the wall. You know, we get to sort of eavesdrop on, on the things that Paul is praying for people. And what's interesting to me is that Paul isn't primarily praying for their tangible, urgent needs. He cares about their needs, but he, he actually seems to have some other priorities in these prayers. And um, so that's, that's where we're heading this evening. We're going to look at three things that Paul prays for the Ephesians, um, the things that we can pray for ourselves and we can pray for other people. Um, so if, if I was going to give this talk a title, I would call it three underrated prayers that God loves to answer. And these are prayers, I think, that will, that will enrich our relationship with Jesus um, and lead us deeper into life with him. So um, does that sound okay as a plan? Great. I've got nothing else to say, so that's good. (laughs) So 
One of the first things that Paul prays for the Ephesians is for wisdom. So if you look at verse 17, helpful to have your Bibles in front of you if you've got it on a a phone or a physical Bible. Um, In in chapter 1, verse 17, uh, Paul prays that God will give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Um, I don't know if you have ever found yourself in need of wisdom. Uh, I remember when I I started my first job, um, I was 21, and I was working as a a student worker with undergraduate students in Cambridge. Um, And I suddenly found myself having the great joy of going for lots of coffees with students um, and being on the receiving end of some really thorny questions. Um, Big theological questions these students were asking, but also big questions about their love lives and, um, you know, their finances, what they should do in life, big questions. Um, I remember one time meeting up with a student and she told me that she'd just inherited quite a lot of money from a relative and she wanted my advice on what she should do with it. And I just remember in the early days of this job, just constantly thinking, what? I don't know. Like, why do you think I would know? And it occurred to me pretty, pretty early on that I, I was pretty fresh in this job. I was straight out of uni. I didn't have very much you know, life experience. And it occurred to me that I needed some wisdom, and I needed it quite fast, ideally. And so I started to, to pray for it. Um, so in my own quiet times, I was praying for wisdom. When anyone asked me if they could pray for me, I would always say, yes, can you, play, can you pray for wisdom? And I was just so aware in that season of my life that I, I really needed God's wisdom. And I think there are times, probably for all of us, um, when we feel out of our depth. Uh, Maybe that's you right now, this evening. Uh, Maybe you have a a complex family situation that you're navigating, or a situation at work. Maybe you have a friend who is seriously ill and you just don't, don't know what to say to them. I think at some point, unless we are unbelievably confident people, we will all feel out of our depth. And we need to ask for God's wisdom. And so Paul prays this for the Ephesians. And do you notice that he, he prays specifically for wisdom and revelation so that they may know God better? He's not praying for like generic good decision making. It's primarily that they would know more of God. And don't we all need that? Don't we all need more of God's heart, you know, to know what he cares about, what is good in his eyes? And so Paul prays that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. You know, he's praying that they would have vision to see things clearly. I, um, I heard a story recently, it's almost certainly not true, but um, it was of a woman who would look out of her window and she would see her neighbours washing, hanging on the line, and, um, and she would shake her head and think, gosh, they really need to get some new washing powder. You know, that those whites are just not getting white. They're, they're looking grubby. And for months, she would look out of the window and just quietly judge her neighbours. Um, not that we would ever do anything like that. Um, and on one day, she looked out and she saw, um, to her amazement, that her neighbour's washing was suddenly dazzlingly white. And she turned to her husband and said, look, they finally changed their washing powder. And he looked a little bit sheepish and he said well actually no I've just got around to cleaning the windows (laughs) see some some of you saw that coming but it's so easy for us to go through life with a kind of filtered vision of reality isn't it seeing things as it were through dirty windows 
when it comes to thinking about money or uh, what we think the good life is, what we should aspire to. The voice of culture is so loud on some of these things. And we can so easily adopt you know, a certain vision of reality and never realize that we're seeing a distorted image of the world. And what we need is accurate vision. You know, We need to see things as they really are. We need the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our hearts, to see the hope that we have. This hope of, of a savior whose kingdom is coming and the wisdom to live in light of that today. So what should we pray for? Well, let's pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. In James 1, we get this amazing promise. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. You know, we are, we are pushing on an open door here. God loves to give wisdom, so let's ask him for it. So that's the first thing. Wisdom. The second thing Paul prays for the Ephesians is for power. Um, by my count, he uses the, that word power six times in these passages. In, um, in verse 19, he talks about God's incomparably great power for us who believe. In, uh, in chapter 3, verse 16, he prays that God would strengthen you with power in your inner being. Um, now, I'm aware that uh, the word power is, is a bit of a, it's almost like a dirty word in our society, isn't it? If we were to play a little game of word association this evening, um, I might come up with uh, power play, power struggle, power hungry, abuse of power, you know, it's like not good things. And we just constantly get bombarded with new stories about when power goes wrong, you know, and it's easy to think, oh, I want nothing to do with that. But what Paul is describing here is a totally different category of power. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. He says this is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, if you can get your head around that. This is the power that, that brings life and healing and transformation, and it is available to us. I don't know about you, but I, I often feel really powerless you know, I turn on the news and hear about terrible things happening around the world. You know, hear about the climate crisis and, and war and injustice. And I can just feel really helpless. And closer to home as well, you know, you see people you love in pain. Uh, one of my really close friends at the moment has just had an absolute shocker of a year. Like one disaster and bit of bad news after another. And, and you know, I want to help. But I feel powerless. I feel helpless. But the amazing truth of this passage is that we are not, in fact, powerless. We are not, in fact, helpless. And it's not, this isn't like a Disney story where we look within ourselves and we discover the power that was within us all along. The, the truth is that we can be filled with a power that is totally outside of us. The power of the Holy Spirit who comes to fill us. And I, I wonder if this is one of those things that we can know in theory, um, but we can easily overlook. I was thinking maybe it's a little bit like driving a car. Um, I remember when I learned to drive, and uh, the first time I pushed down on the accelerator, 
and my enormous surprise when the car actually started to move. And, and it just seemed incredible to me that this big, heavy machine could actually be moved by the tiniest tap of my foot. And in reality, I was probably going about seven miles an hour, but it felt incredibly fast to me. And I remember just driving down the road and with this sense that I had unbelievable power at my fingertips. But the thing is, I, I've been driving for you know, a decade now, and, and these days, I don't give much thought to the power of a car. Um, I tend to just get in and drive, as most people do. Um, and this, this power that once seemed so incredible to me doesn't really cross my mind anymore. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, you know, we're talking about something infinitely more powerful than my parents' Toyota Corolla. We're talking about the actual presence of the living God who comes to live inside of us. And I know for me, there have been times when that concept has blown my mind. You know, it's made me, it's made me bold. It's made me pray boldly. It's made me step out in faith from time to time. But then I also know that there have been times in my life when, frankly, I've kind of forgotten about that, that power. And, and maybe I've chosen to, to operate in my own strength. And I've relied on my resources rather than God's. And maybe I'm not the only one here. But what if we were to join Paul in praying for God's power to fill us? What if, say, every morning this week, we just spent a few minutes asking for the Holy Spirit's power to come and fill us for the day ahead of us? You know, not that we might become these sort of Christian superheroes, not that we look good, but that we might become channels of God's light in a dark world. So that we might have the boldness to use the name of Jesus in everyday conversation. Or the, the courage to pray for someone for healing or the conviction to stand up for a difficult decision in a meeting. You know, we, we all need this. <laughs> we need this power. And it's interesting to me that Paul, he doesn't just pray this for the Ephesians, but he, he also seems to be praying this for himself. In, um, in Philippians chapter three, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. You know, Paul's not someone who's got this done and dusted. He's not just, you know, tick the box. He recognizes that we have this daily need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's not a prayer to pray just in church on a Sunday or once a year if you go to a you know, Christian festival. This is, this is like water. This is like sleep. This is, you know, the daily need that we have to be drawing on the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul prays for wisdom. He prays for power, quite big words we're using. And then a final big word, he prays for love. In, in chapter three, verse 17, Paul writes, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That is, a, that is an epic prayer, isn't it? You know, if you're ever not sure what to pray for someone, maybe you could start there to pray that they would be filled, that they would know the fullness of Jesus' love for them. And um, if, if you look carefully, do you notice that Paul is talking about maybe two slightly different experiences of God's love here? 
He talks about being rooted and established in love. You know, that, that solid conviction of God's love so that you can wake up in the morning and you can know whatever happens today, I am loved by God himself. And Paul seems to assume that the Ephesians have this kind of deep-rooted love in their lives. But then what he prays is that they would now, they would experience the full dimensions of God's love, that they would know how long and wide and high and deep is this love for them. You know, it's almost like they've got the the roots of love. And now Paul prays that this love is going to grow up and blossom and thrive. You know, if you were were putting it a bit pithily, you might say they've got the root and now they need the fruit. (laughs) Because there's there's such a difference between um, an abstract knowledge and an experience, isn't there? There's a difference between knowing something in, in our heads in the abstract and knowing something in our hearts. A few years ago, I uh, went to Zambia with some friends, and uh, we went to visit Victoria Falls, uh, which is one of the seven wonders of the world. And um, on the way there, me and my friends, we read a bunch of facts about Victoria Falls. Uh, So we learned, for instance, that it is twice as high as Niagara Falls. Um, We learned that 500 million liters of water goes over the edge of the falls every minute. It's quite impressive. But do you know that all the stats in the world cannot communicate what it is actually like to see Victoria Falls? There's this um, particular area right at the bottom of the falls, which is called the boiling pot. Um, And it's kind of the epicenter where all of these different currents are flowing together and um, it creates this kind of big churning cauldron of water. And there's a rock that goes right out into the middle of it and you can walk along and so I went and I, and I stood right at the edge, which is obviously what you would do. And, it, and honestly, I can't explain it to you. You know, the spray from the water is so intense that you, you get soaked within about 10 seconds. And the roaring of the waterfalls all around you is completely deaf, like you can't hear anything else. And you're just surrounded by these kind of walls of water on every side. And it's like all of your senses are overwhelmed by the, just the magnitude of this thing. You know, it's, it's one thing to read about Victoria Falls, but it's another thing to go and stand in the middle of it. And, and maybe for some of us, we've heard about God's love. You know, we, we might even believe that God loves us. But have we, have we stood in the middle of it? You know, have, have we marveled at its dimensions? Because I think that is what Paul is praying for the Ephesians. This is the thing that will change everything for them and for us to know and experience this love this love that drives out fear and and takes away condemnation and shame this love that would lead the son of God to give up his life for us and this love that overcomes the grave overcomes death itself and calls us into the family of God And I know for me that the most pivotal moments of my life have been when I've just got a glimpse of God's love for me. Um, I remember when I was 18 um, and I arrived at university and um, I'd become a Christian a few years before. um, But at this point in my life, I was was just full of uh, questions and doubts and cynicism and 
I wasn't really sure whether or not I was going to call myself a Christian or not when I got to university. And um, on my second day at university, God doesn't waste too much time, um, I met some quite persuasive Christians um, who persuaded me to, uh, to come to church with them. And I was a little bit reluctant, but I, I went because they were quite persuasive. And, um, and I remember walking into the church, and we arrived a little bit late, and the worship had already started. And I walked in, and on the journey from the back door to the pew where I sat down, I was just wrecked by the love of God. I was just floored by it. And I remember sitting down, and, I, and by the time I was there, you know, I had tears in my eyes. And I just remember just the really simple thought, you know, I've come home. God is real, and God loves me. And my life was just set on a whole new trajectory by just this glimpse of God's love for me. And I think this is something to pray for. Not that, not that God would love us more, because he loves us infinitely, but that we might catch just a, a fresh glimpse of this love. You know, that, that we could step back and marvel at the height and the width and the depth and the length of it. So, so Paul prays these things for the Ephesians. He prays for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He prays that they would be filled with power. And he prays that they might grasp you know, the dimensions of God's love for them. And these are things we can pray for ourselves. We can pray for the people that we pray for. And, um, and we're going to do that in a minute. We're going to spend some time just waiting on the Lord and asking him for, to come and meet with us to come and do these things in our hearts but um let me just end with a, a final picture which I felt God kind of put on my heart as I was praying um I have a three-year-old nephew who I absolutely love and uh, sometimes he will come bounding up to me with a request and he will say auntie Hannah can you read me a story um or even better than that he'll come up and he'll say auntie Hannah can you help me build a den and, and I can see in his eyes, he's, got, he's thinking, maybe she will, maybe she won't. But what he needs to know, what he doesn't know yet, is that nothing would bring me greater pleasure. <laughs> I would love to curl up on the sofa with him and read him a story. You know, I would be thrilled to build a den with him. And he asks, but he doesn't realize that I am just waiting for him to ask. And I just wonder if this evening God might be saying to us that, that he is just waiting to be asked. He is our heavenly father and he longs to meet with us. He longs to pour out his wisdom and his power and his love. We don't need to persuade him about these things. He, he is waiting for us to ask. And... Um, if we're in any doubt that God is able to do these things, then uh, let's just remember Paul's final assurance that our God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So with that in mind, um, can I invite you to, uh, to stand if you're able to and comfortable to? And um, I don't really have a plan from here on in. <laughs> we're just going to see. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to move amongst us and to wait on him.